All right, today we start our summer in the Psalms. If you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Psalm chapter 40, or Psalm chapter 40, it's Psalm 40, Psalm 40. So turn to Psalm 40, and we will start our series there. We, uh, throughout the summer, we're going to have a different Psalm every week. They're not going in any kind of numerical or thematic order, uh, but we are going to do a different Psalm every week for the summer, starting with Psalm 40, which... Uh, you U2 fans may recognize this from like, I think it was their first album, which uh, for you young people, U2 is a band. And, um, uh, but anyway, they wrote a song based on this psalm back in the day. And when I was in college, it was all the rage to sing at worship gatherings, this U2 version of Psalm 40. Uh, well, speaking of my younger days, uh, when I was younger, I used to get invited to these things called bachelor parties. I am, uh, now that I am a man of the cloth, I get invited a lot less often. And um, people at their bachelor parties rarely want to be like, and this is my pastor. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I just don't get invited anymore. I'm not, no hard feelings. You guys don't have to invite me to your bachelor parties. I certainly am not like pining for the invitation. But back in the day, that was something that I was used to being involved in. And uh, I went on one particular bachelor party with one of my dearest friends in the world. He's still like a brother to me, and he's been married now for about 12 years. So I'm guessing this is about 13 years ago, and we were uh, doing a destination wedding with him. And so for his bachelor party, we went deep sea fishing. And if you've ever been deep sea fishing, you know it is miserable, okay? It is. It is absolutely the worst. I suffer from what's called motion sickness, which means that if I am moving in a vehicle and I'm not driving that vehicle pretty much, any other vehicle, I'm going to feel a little bit ill. But the worst of all of them is uh, on a boat on the ocean. It is terrible. And uh, my only saving grace, honestly, uh, to tell the whole story would take too long. But in, in short, uh, I brought a bunch of Dramamine because I'm like, this is going to be miserable. And I'm like, Mr. Dad, old man already when I was this young man and everybody wanted one. So we handed all this Dramamine. So we go on this bachelor party. Everybody's super drowsy. Nobody's having any fun. We're all feeling tired. We, uh, we get one fish on the line and, you know, the fishermen on the ship, they just want whoever's going to pay for it to become a trophy. That's who they want to have catch it. And so, you know, we're kind of fighting over who's going to get in the seat. But really, all of us feel drowsy and then all of us start feeling sick. And uh, the only saving grace is that I, as much sick as I got, and I don't need to go into all the gory details for y'all, this is a church, but uh, uh, the only saving grace was that the bachelor, the, the groom-to-be also got really sick, which was a delight to me. It was awesome because he's like, it, like, if he's having a great time, it doesn't matter how sick I am, like, we're staying. But he was like, can we please turn around? And I was like, oh, buddy, if you want to, yeah, we can... <laughs> We could definitely go back. And uh, the solution to my seasickness, like I, I felt awful, 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 and then immediately better as soon as I took the first step back on land and the land was stable, I felt fine, like immediately fine. But on the sea, it was terrible. Uh, like the ups and downs and back and forth. I mean, even talking about this, some of this is making some of you guys sick. But it was terrible for me. It's Psalm 40 is the story of a man, it's the story of many of our lives who's saying like, I've been in that situation where I am just up and down, back and forth and cannot get my feet underneath me. And I waited for God to solve it. I waited, to, waited for things around me to calm down 
And the only thing that saved me was that God put me on solid ground. The only, and immediately once I trusted God with it, everything else kind of, it settled. It wasn't the, I didn't medicate until it was better. It wasn't the Dramamine that solved it. I didn't uh, get my sea legs underneath me. It was, it was God that rescued me. That's the story of Psalm 40. And for many of you, this is your story right now. It's you're in the middle of uh, maybe singleness and wishing you weren't single, or maybe employed at a job you wish you didn't, you wish you hadn't have chosen, or maybe you're married and wishing you could build your family and it's not working the way you wanted to, or marriage is hard right now. Or maybe you and your roommates are not getting along. And it just feels like home should be a safe place, and maybe right now it feels like your least safe place. And it's the ups and downs and back and forth. And you're just going, I just want to feel okay. I just want to be all right. Just want to stop feeling the sadness or the loneliness or the difficulty. I just want stability. And Psalm 40 is not only a psalm about finding that stability in God, but it's about waiting for it which is probably one of the most difficult things that is true about your Bible. It's not a promise of of rainbows and happiness. It's a promise of instability in this world, but a very stable God, which doesn't mean, hey, if you turn to God right now and you pray these certain words and everything will be resolved for you, but rather rather you will have to face things that are going to be extremely difficult. We'll toss you back and forth like waves on the sea is what James would say. And what will be stable, what will not change, is God's love and affection and attention and thoughts for you. So I want to read Psalm 40 in its entirety, and then I want to talk through it some. So if you've turned there, Psalm 40, it says this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds, your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you've not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it's written for me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. 
Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And may those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You're my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. I say this is the word of the Lord. You say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're paying attention, one, I mean, the Psalms are beautiful. It's such a place of solace, such a place of comfort. And part of the reason they are is because it's so honest. If you remember the first line in the Psalm, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And then the last lines in the Psalm, what does it say? Do not delay, oh my God. It's like, which is it? Are you saying like, hey God, I'm totally patient whenever you want to do this. Or is it, God, could you please do this right now? And the truth is for all of us, it's like, yes, I, I understand that tension. God, I'm willing to wait and I have waited, but also could you please do this right now? Could you please resolve it immediately? Could you please show up? The Psalm is a Psalm of saying, past tense, I have been delivered. Present tense, I'm in trouble again. I waited patiently for the Lord, he rescued me. And God, right now, my troubles are outnumbering the hairs on my head which is not something you'll typically hear me say, but I have more trouble than hair on my head. People always laugh at bald jokes. I don't really get it. And at the same time saying, God, I'm in trouble right now. I know you've been faithful before. I'm in trouble right now. And the first comfort I think to us is to remember when we are in present trouble, remember who you're dealing with. This is the God who has been faithful before. The God who has always been faithful and so we're going, will you help me right now? It's not an accusation saying, where are you? What are you doing? It's saying, God, please, uh, from my understanding of what's happening, Lord, I, I really want to see change and I'm not seeing it. And yet I know God, Psalm 40, verse one, I've waited patiently on you before and you have come through. You've done what I've asked you to do. And yet I'm in trouble again. I'm, I'm in difficulty again. He describes it as being stuck in a miry bog or a pit of destruction. If you've ever been to Israel, they, they take you on these tours of the Holy Land. It's really awesome. I recommend going and they show you these kind of ancient cisterns. They're, they're, they're these kind of uh, slanted tunnels that go down to a big empty pit. And what, would do, what they would do is because it's a... a often a desert climate, is they would fill up these cisterns with water, and that's where they would get water during the drought. And so if you go to Israel, they're all over the place, these cisterns. But then they would kind of dry out. You'd be out of water, and you just have this muddy pit that used to be full of water. And if you were stuck down in there, you needed somebody else's help to get out of it. And that's what the psalmist is describing here. I'm in this pit and it is muddy and it is slippery. I cannot get myself out of it. But you, God, set my feet on the rock. You made me secure. One of the great things about Psalm 40 is that it helps us think about what is one of our most frustrating things as Christians, which is trying to understand God's timing. Even those of us who trust God and believe he is good and don't struggle with wondering if he's in charge, 
we'll sometimes wonder, but why isn't he doing this right now? Why isn't he doing this in this circumstance? I I get that he does it for other people. Why isn't he doing it for me? I get that he's done it before. Why isn't he doing it now? It's a psalm about God's timing. Uh, For those of you who know my family, I have a wife, Chelsea, and then I have three sons, Oscar, Gus, and Theodore, and then we live with an animal, and uh, it's a a golden retriever slash poodle. They call it a golden doodle. It's really just a fancy mutt. That's all it is. It's uh, two species of dogs mixed, and then it's a great dog. She's wonderful, but she is a fancy mutt, okay? And uh, we got her from a breeder, and I don't need your emails. I've had rescue dogs before, and I love my rescue dogs, okay? This is not about that. We got her, she was freer to us than a rescue dog. She was free to us, and she's a wonderful dog. And we have this agreement with this breeder, and there's all this complicated mess you don't need to know about, okay? She's, she's a complicated young lady, Miss Maroney. She's a golden doodle. And uh, because of our agreement, every once in a while, I have to take uh, this dog, Maroney, up to this dog farm where she came from. And it involves meeting a person in a parking lot and making this kind of uh, back alley dog exchange. It's a very strange experience. It's like, hey, I'll meet you at uh, Bed Bath & Beyond and you give us your dog and then we'll see you later, okay? So we have to meet in these places. And uh, we've done this, I don't know, half a dozen times over the last couple of years where we send her there, she comes back. And I've got to meet this stranger in a parking lot and give them this precious animal member of our family. And because we've met in different places at different times, I have on occasion uh, gotten confused with where to be. But the truth is, I try to always be on time. I try to always be in the right place. And there are times where like, I'm in a rush and I've got to drive to McKinney and wait for somebody to come get this dog for me. And sometimes it's kind of frustrating if they're not on time. I don't know if you've ever been frustrated with somebody else's lack of punctuality. It's One of the things that's really important to me, I have uh, had the opportunity many times to interview people for jobs, and there's nothing more important to me at your job interview, if I'm doing your job interview, that you be on time. Sometimes I'm flabbergasted that you want a job and you'd show up late. I don't understand this. People will come in late and I'll say, where were you? And literally a guy told me, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. I was interviewing for a different job that I might get. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I really hope you get it, you know? (laughs) Like, punctuality is important to me. Well, I've been sitting in a parking lot with this dog feeling like, gosh, I'm so far away from home right now. I need to be somewhere else. And I'm waiting on this person to come pick up the dog. And there was a time not long ago where that was a circumstance. And it's like 15 minutes past time, 20 minutes past the time we're supposed to meet. And I'm texting him saying, where are you? I've, I, I gotta go. And they say, well, I've been here. I've been waiting. And I say, no, I'm, I'm sitting right here. And then they text and say, are you sure you're at this location? And I realize, oh, They've been waiting on me this whole time. I'm in the wrong place. I was in the wrong place. I was at the right time. I was on time. That's important to remember here. I was just, in the, just at the wrong place. And sometimes when we're looking at the Lord, we have this question that creeps up so easily. It says, God, why aren't you doing what I want you to do? Right? Why aren't you doing what I want you to do? And much more rarely do we internalize the question that's maybe easier and more important for us to ask, which is, am I doing what God's asked me to do? He'll say, like, here's a, here's a plan I have for you, a purpose I have for you. Here's what it looks like to be godly. Here's what I want. He's been so clear. And yet some of us will walk in like open sin, open rebellion, and still cry out to God, why aren't you doing what I want you to do? I'd be like, but I'm on time. He's going, but are you, you're not even, 
You're questioning the God of the universe without taking a second to question yourself. Say, did I maybe, like the psalmist admits here, get myself into the problem I'm in? See, the psalmist says here in verse 12, evil has encompassed me beyond number and he says, my iniquity's overtaken me. What he's saying there is that the problem I'm facing is my own sin. And who rescues us from our own sin is God. God is the only rescue I have. When the sea is tossing me back and forth as a result of my own doing, God is still my solution. And what's great is God is more patient than I am. God is the person who's still steady. That's why it calls him his love steadfast. The person who's still loyal, the person who's still willing and eager to save because he loves you. And yet I would dare to cry out to him, why aren't you doing what I want you to do? As if in prayer, God works for me. If God is God and he is to be trusted, why do I treat him like he works for me? Instead, what if we as a church and what if we as a people, when we prayed, we said, God, your will be done. That's the way we see Christ pray. Lord, your will be done. And at the same time, feel permission because of the relationship we have with God to say, God, I hope your will is this. It seems right to me. But Lord, if it's not, your will be done. But here's the frustrating part. Why isn't God doing the things that he says are good? I'm still looking around and saying, why won't he do this? See, God wants what? He says in the Psalm that he's given what? Actually, this is a really cool thing. If you have like a footnote, it might even say this in verse eight. It says, in sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. And if you have a footnote, it might say something like, in Hebrew, that means ears you have dug for me, which is not really a a translatable idiom. God, you dug my ears. You're like, what? Wait, what? The, The symbolism, the idiom, the idea here is like, I had ears that like couldn't hear. I had ears that were like clogged. And God, what you've done for me is you've dug new ears for me. So he says, bless, or uh, verse eight says, in sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, but instead you gave me the ability to hear you. You let me listen to you. And he says, burnt offering, sin offering, you've not required, but I delight in your will. Verse eight says, I delight in your will. It's verse six about the open ears, verse eight about the delight in your will. What does God want from us? These verses say he doesn't want sacrifice. But remember, this is written at a time where the sacrificial system is very active. So why would the psalmist say, God doesn't want your sacrifices? What he's saying here is you believers, if you think what God is doing is saying, if you perform this ritual, then I'll give you what you want, then the God that you're following is a God of spells and incantations and not the God of the Bible a God that you can control by saying, if I perform this or I do this enough, listen, I I go to church every Sunday, God, why aren't you doing this for me? Is acting like what God wants from you is attendance. Acting what God wants from you is is a certain percentage of your life. What the psalmist is saying, that's not what God's after. Listen, I I was a teacher for several years and I loved being a teacher except for, and I I know that kids hate homework and karma, this may come as a surprise to you. Teachers often hate your homework more than you hate your homework, okay? I taught English. I had to read like 80 essays a weekend and some of these kids' essays, they were abysmal, okay? (laughs) It was pretty bad. So you had to do the homework once, I had to read it 80 times. It was not fun. 
But to think that what your teacher wants from you is the homework is to misunderstand our education system. What the teacher wants from you is learning. Wants you to learn something. What I'm asking you for is homework, but what I want is for you to learn. What I'm asking for you is for your attention, not that you would bother me less, but that you would grow. That's what the teacher wants. And when you look at the sacrificial system, God is not going, what I need is more cows. What I need is more chickens and pigeons. That's not our God. He's going, what I want is for you to learn that the wages of sin is death. And instead of you dying, we'll sacrifice an animal to let you know that there's a means by which atonement is made between me and you. And it points forward to the sacrifice of Christ. Because what God wants from you is not more chickens, cows, and sheep. What he wants from you is your heart. He wants you to learn. And so what does the psalmist say he gets instead of sacrifices? Ears to listen and a heart that delights in God. What does God want from us? I mean, we covered already a little bit what we want from God. I'll talk more about it here in a second. But what does God want from us? He wants you, your attention. He wants you, your love. Why? Because it's good for you. And he deserves it and has demanded it. And what do we want? Typically, we want a handful of things. We want security, safety. We want deliverance. Some of us, we want, we want romance. We want success. And when we get frustrated with God, it's typically because we didn't get one of those things or it didn't come on our timeline. It didn't come when I wanted it. So we look at God and go, I, I get what you want. You want me to show up or you want me to spend this much time doing these Christian things. Well, here's what I want then. I want success. I want romance. I want security. I want deliverance. And what's true about our God, what's truly incredible is all those things, there's a version of all those things that's better than usually what you're seeking for that's found in God. But listen to me, the solid rock that the psalmist is put on, rescued out of the miry clay, is not the rock of the things we want on this earth. It's not the rock of success. It's not the rock of romance. It's not the rock of even uh, a security and safety. What we get in this psalm is not, hey, it, the, the world is topsy-turvy, but don't worry, God will give you success in this world. No, what you get is the God who is stable that you already have. That's the psalmist. The psalmist is saying solid ground is not getting earthly things that you want. It's trusting the God you already have. Trusting the God you already have. Verse four says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud or to those who go astray after a lie. I want to remind you of a handful of things that maybe you have heard and maybe are true, but it's important to remind you this morning and to be the church that believes these things. You can trust that God has a master plan and you can trust in that master plan because you know the master of that plan. When you see the characteristics of God, it's never somebody who wavers or somebody who's fickle. It's always somebody who's steadfast. That's who your God is. So when you're wondering about God's timing, why isn't God doing this now? The first thing I would tell you is remember who you're dealing with. Who is this God? It's a God who doesn't change. It's a God who loves you fiercely. It's a God who's control, uh, in control of everything. 
It's when it feels like the world is falling apart. Remember that God isn't. He is never, ever looking at your life and saying, oops, I forgot that one. Or, ah, how am I gonna untangle this mess? He's never confused. He's never out of his depth. He's steadfast. Secondly, God is not fair in the kind of American sense of fairness. Like my kids, this is so easy to slip into. I don't have to teach them this. This just comes out of their mouth. They'll say, well, that's not fair. Somebody gets something they don't. Well, that's not fair. We're the same way as adults. You'll look around and you'll say, well, I want this thing and that person got it. I want success. That person got success. I want romance. That person got romance. I want kids. Well, that person got kids. How come, what's wrong with me that I'm not getting what other people are getting? Listen to me, God is not fair in the sense of everybody gets the same. That's not even the definition of fairness. I explain this to my kids all the time. I say, if, it's, if fairness worked like that, then I would be shaving all your heads because it's not fair. <laughs> Y'all got tons of hair and I, I don't. So you know what? Everybody in the Griffin family has got to shave their heads. It's the only fair thing to do. No, that's not the definition of fairness. That'd be unfortunate. It'd be awful. Fairness is not everybody gets the same. Fairness is trust that everybody's getting what they need. This is what, if you've been an educator before, you know that there are accommodations made for kids. Is that fair? Yes, it'd be unfair not to. Every kid is different. And if we treat every kid like they're the same, that's not fair. And if you think looking at other people's lives and saying, well, God must love them more because they got that, that's treating God unfairly because God does not work on this equality scale where equality to him means everybody gets the same unless you're talking about that everybody gets Jesus. Everybody who trusts Christ gets eternal life. Christ is not prejudice the way we are. But when you look at the earthly blessings and you want to compare them, you say, this isn't fair. Who getting anything is fair? What have you earned or deserved or merited? Have we all convinced God that we're good enough and some people have just convinced him a little bit more? Or is it that anything that you have from the Lord is a gift? Everything you've got is from him. One thing I mentioned earlier here in verse 12 is that the, the problem that we are all truly facing is sin. Sometimes we treat the problem like the problem is a spiteful God, like why wouldn't God do this when I want him to? The true problem we're facing is a broken world. The problem the psalmist points out is my iniquities have overtaken me, I can't see. He's saying it's just everywhere, it's surrounding me, it's in so tight, I can't even see. That's the problem that all of us are facing. Sometimes we, we make our life like it's about other problems and there are problems in the world that are difficulties we will face or hardships, but the true problem of the world is sin, that this world is broken by treasonous people. Sometimes you suffer as a result of somebody's sin against you, sometimes because of your own, sometimes just because the world is broken, there is disease and there is death, all a result of sin. And that's why the great thing about our scripture and what God has told us about trusting his timing is that we can trust the, this God, we can trust his timing because he's actually already come for you. Like God is not late in looking at your life. 
If you're wondering why he hasn't done something yet, he can point out to you in this generation and say, what more would you like me to do? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. Every problem you will ever have, which is a result of sin, has already been resolved and solved in Christ. And blessed are you who trust in him. Because instead of getting something that is fickle like wealth or relationship with people, you can be given the rock to trust in, which is that you already have God. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, that you might know him, that you might follow him, that you might trust him, and that he has resolved every problem you will face. So will there be times where we're frustrated and we're sitting here like the psalmist going, God, I've waited patiently before, but I'd really like to do, have you do something now. Absolutely. And can we pray that honestly? Yes. But let us never think that the problem we're facing is a God who's not paying attention or a God who's suddenly become cruel or a God who's solving things for other people but owes me something. No, what you're facing is a gracious God who can be trusted even in the midst of your suffering and difficulty and a God who is willing to take on that suffering himself that you might never have to face eternal death, but you might know him forever. And that's available to you in Christ. So my prayer for you is that you would trust him. If you've never known him, that you would for the first time trust Christ. And that if you do know him, you would hand over to him all your anxieties, all your pressures you've put on yourself, all the decisions that you see made around you that work out for others that don't seem to work out for you or all the gratitude for what the Lord has already done for you, to hand that over to Christ and say, Christ, you're better. You're better than any romance, better than any success, better than any security because he cannot be taken away from you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you've been so gracious to me as a man, as a person. You've been so gracious to us as a church, as a community. I pray that Eastside would continue to experience your blessing, not in the sense of financially, not in the sense of security and safety, and not in the sense of getting what we want on this earth, but rather in knowing that we trust in you and you are not going anywhere. God, help us see your will for our lives. Know that your timing can be trusted, but we don't always get to know and see what's happening or where we should go or what's going on around us. And so Lord, let us in on your plan that we might work out your will in our lives as individuals and in our lives corporately as a church, that we might serve you well with our lives. And thank you for these Psalms that are such a comfort to our souls in a time of difficulty and such an easy way to celebrate with you your glory that is so well-deserved. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.